This is the Identity Shockwave podcast, where we explore the journey of self-discovery and the many layers of who we are as we ride this wave called life. Four questions, real people, endless exploration. I'm your host, Lori Vaitzig. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Identity Shockwave podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and choosing to spend the next hour or so with me. I am super stoked, and I hope you are, too. So just to kind of let you know what the format of this is going to be like and so you know what to expect, I have four questions I came up with to kind of help guide the conversation around identity. And I send these to my guests ahead of time just so they're not caught off guard and so they can think about what they want to say and how to steer the conversation. My idea with this is I start with the first question, asking them, you know, how they introduce themselves. And then I ask that same question again at the end because my idea and my hope is that by having conversation, Maybe they change their minds about how they initially introduced themselves and maybe they have a different perception. But, you know, I don't I don't know if this format's going to stick. I'm still figuring this out. This is all new, right? It's all about the discovery, isn't it? All right. Awesome. So this first guest, I'm super excited that I have the privilege to introduce you to. This is a really good friend of mine. I've known him for quite some time. We talk a lot about punk rock music specifically the Long Island punk rock music scene, which if you know anything about, you might really enjoy this conversation. And if you don't, eh, you might learn something too. Listen, we talked for like two hours, so I edited out a lot. We talked extensively about the Beach Boys, but trust me, I, 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 ed- I edited this down. <laughs> so we also talk about his sobriety and being in recovery and how that has had an impact on his identity as well as being neurodivergent and how that's shaped who he is and how he identifies. I am so proud and so stoked to introduce you to my good friend, Chris Baltris. Chris Baltris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm so glad to be here. I wanted to start off by saying, you know, not only have you been such a sweet and fun friend over the years, and I just enjoy you so much, but... You honestly, like, are one of my, you've created some of my favorite music of all time. And (laughs) I cherish it so much. And again, thank you so much for allowing me to use it for this show. It was the first thing I thought of when I wanted to do intro music. I was like, I I need something from, I need something from Baltrus. I need something from Contraflow. So, well, well, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and I'm honored to be um, participating in it, but also to have you to esteem so much uh my value my my art that you would even consider it as part of your the whole the the whole production the whole presentation so um (laughs) you really you really don't you don't have to mention it I'm just happy to be a part of it and thank you for keeping it alive yes yes that's that's that means a lot to me it really does well I know I know since I know you personally I know you are a very, very multifaceted creature. Um, but if you had to boil it down to a couple of words, you know, how do you how do you introduce yourself? Do you have an elevator pitch? What's 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 the story you give? I had to look this up. I've I've never pitched anything in an elevator. I um <laughs> I tend to avoid spaces where there's people in them. But if I was talking to myself in sort of an elevator shaped room. I would I would I would say hi I'm Chris Baltris. I'm 42 years old. I'm vegan and I am also a recovering alcoholic. And uh yeah well I'm I'm well into recovery. So I it's been 10 years since I've drank almost 10 years. Wow. I rounded up. I'm I rounded up at this point. So that's become a huge part of how I present myself now. I don't, I, I don't hide the fact that I have a past. And um, I also, I don't like to share too much of it, but something like that, alcoholism, substance abuse is something that um, people can relate to. So it's a, you know, and I'm, I have no shame about bringing it up right away. When you have shared that in the past with people, have, what kind of response have you gotten? Have you ever had an encounter with somebody where you said, 
you know, I'm in recovery and they say, oh, me too. And like, you know, do you ever share some kind of stories or bond or like, what's the, what's the, um, how do people react? All the time. I have, I have, I have, um, there's people I work with really just one or two people that I confide with at work who I, who I will be open about things. And, you know, because even, even this many years on, uh, there's still times when I struggle with, you know, uh, maintaining my sanity, maintaining my sobriety, especially over the past couple of years, uh, all the, all the bullshit we've been through. Yeah. I, I don't know. I talk to people about it and most of the time it's just sort of a way of disarming myself, you know, creating some vulnerability. And it's, it's something that's not threatening. You know, may, if people if people are threatened by it, then I don't think that I can exist with them. You know, if, if people are going to judge me off the bat about something like that, um, I don't think it's really worth spending too much time trying to pursue. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Why would you want to invite that kind of energy if someone's not going to at least be mm -hmm. courteous of you sharing that part of you and courteous of your journey and be like, no, come have a drink. Like, no, you don't, you don't need someone like that right. in your sphere. But anyway, like, I, I guess I didn't finish my pitch, but I said, I'm, I'm Chris Baltrus. I'm 42 years old. I am recovering alcoholic, recovering substance addict and um, vegan. I said vegan, right? Yes, you did. <laughs> that, that, that comes up early because I, that's something I put up very high. And then like lower down the list, I'll say, oh, I've also been playing punk rock for 27 years of my life, um, which itself is sort of a substance issue. It's kind of, it's kind of like a self-destructive behavior that I group in with alcohol and drugs and punk rock. They all kind of, uh, so much punk rock I love is very positive and very like about being straight edge or, you know, like Minor Threat is one of my favorite bands of all time. and. Uh, yeah, I still got fucked up all the time and I was listening to minor, you know, um, and then and then usually last um, after I've gotten sort of comfortable with somebody, um, I might bring up neurodivergent. Cool. Yeah. Those are some of the most interesting people. You know, uh -huh. you, you think differently, you see the world uh, differently. I also think it's funny because as extroverted as you are. You're also kind of a shy guy. I feel like you're an introverted extrovert. Would you agree with that statement? <laughs> I have moments where I'm extroverted, but there's sort of a, I, I want to say there's sort of a disassociation that happens. Um, it's not a, it's not a split personality, but I have, I have parts of myself that are isolated from each other and yeah like you said i can be very shy and i can be very introverted but then when there are things that i'm knowledgeable or excited about uh i have i lack like an impulse control and i i sort of outburst and i think that's more of the neurodivergent part of my personality where i will just um unconsciously you know blurt out things or... yeah i know that about you to not bring up classic cars or <laughs> the album pet sounds because <laughs> we'll we'll go i could i could tell you all about pet sounds but you 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 could really just read about it it's funny because i i have read about pet sounds it being one of my favorite albums and i think i learned more from you than i have from any of my own research <laughs> Did you see the movie? Did you see what is it? Um, Love and Mercy. Yes. Oh yeah, I worked for the studio uh, when I, I was working was... for Lionsgate I, when they put it out. I have a poster of it on oh, my shit. wall in my living room. I'll have that to is show sick. You that is yeah. awesome. I'll take a photo so you can. I see I loved that movie. I loved that. What was it? John Cusack. John Cusack, Paul Dano, Elizabeth Banks, uh, Paul Giamatti. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. really, really good. I just remember it being really authentic in the sort of technical sense it, you know things that appeal to me my my partner and i you know damo mm -hmm. we uh we went to see within the span of a few months 
we saw both lineups. So we saw at, we went to Coney Island on 4th of July and we saw the Mike Love. Oh. The Mike Love, John Stamos and. Oh. Oh God, I love Stamos. He was great. The story I'm getting to is as we were leaving the show, me and Damo, we were like so high from, we were just, you know, ecstatic from having such a, Great time. We fa- we found perfect parking. The weather was beautiful. Coney Island was beautiful. There was just so many people out roller skating with like boom boxes, and it was it was like it was seeing the every New Yorker all in one place all at once. And I mean like real New York. It yeah. this was not some bogus bullshit Brooklyn New York. This was like the real shit. This was how I remember it when I was a kid. It was summer, you know, and there, there was music and it just like the, the whole experience. And then the seeing s- the Beach smells, Boys. The smells, the sounds. The- right. So <sighs> they're playing Kokomo. And <laughs> like, <laughs> but I know it's like the stupidest song. Oh, it's so much fun, though. At that, we, we're singing along to Kokomo. And then me and Damo, we look at each other. And we remember where we met because we grew up in the same town. So like we were little kids at the beach and we were playing under this fiberglass turtle <sighs> at Seacliff Beach. And we're under this fiberglass turtle. It's still there, by the way, I, I'm pretty sure. And we're digging in the sand and we're singing Kokomo, the two of us. And we didn't know each other. And, you know, years and years and years and years later, we met and we got together and became partners. And now we own a house together. And like this whole this whole entire universe that I share with Damo, with this amazing life that I have. And for the longest time, we could not figure out when we met each other. And then at this at this Beach Boys show. We hear Kokomo and it just, it triggers this memory. We're like, you're that kid. You were that kid. That was you. And we we freaked out. And then as soon as we had, it, it was like in the movies, Lori, I swear. As soon as we had this realization, directly over us, fireworks started going off. I'm not That's even incredible. making this up. I'm not even making this up. And it was one of those just, it's one of those moments that you, you're like, wow, am I, is this really happening? Am I, am I in some sort of simulation? Like, is this really, does this exist? Am I, am I, yeah, I had to pinch myself. That's incredible, man. See, this is what I was talking about earlier. I know, <laughs> I know the Beach Boys have been a really significant part of your life, but this is where we can go down a rabbit hole of talking about. Yeah, let's, but okay, but, but just to like, to move it along, what, would you consider your favorite Beach Boys album? Is it Pet Sounds? Yeah, of course. It's Pet, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it, it's it. Obviously, I mean, I know you, but for those that don't know you, like you know, music has played such a part in I think shaping who you are. And how has music influenced part of your identity? You know, because we're we're punk rockers, and there's the whole identity around that. That you know. Well, it, it's it's funny because some people really use music as an identity. You know, they put it on. They put it on like this mantle that they, they wear. And it becomes their personality. It becomes the most interesting thing in their personality. You know, like a cosplay. You know? I, I, I'm not criticizing anybody's personal how what makes them feel good listen if it makes you feel good do it i used to go to shows and i would spike my hair and i'd spike this spike belt spike bracelets i had patches all over everything i i used to not shower just so i would smell bad because it was punk and you know you know just like oh my god my i was oh i was such a little turd (laughs) i was such a little turd and um at some point, you know, you kind of evolve out of you that. You find your own within. And you're it. like, this is not my identity. 
But I do still see people who are, you know, into their 30s and they're still spiking up and they're still, and I mean, that's cool, but I don't want to have to dress like a rodeo clown every time I leave the house. Has it influenced your identity? It didn't. It didn't. They were, uh, they coincided. They were, um, they were parallel lines. So I can't explain this to anybody. If you're, if you're not neurodivergent, you don't understand this. Um, I'll try. Uh, okay. I, I never felt like I understood how humans behaved. It, how to talk to people. The, the fact that I'm doing this right now is um, it, it's uh, it's difficult for me because I don't know. I can't, it's just, I, I feel like I, I have to be a certain way mm -hmm. and being myself has always kind of gotten me into trouble in the sense when I was young and I was in school um, being extremely intelligent you know, always testing off the charts, always being at the top of my class. And I'm not bragging. I'm saying this is, the, you know, like this is real shit that all of my teachers could not figure out how somebody could be so smart and be so stupid at the same time. You know, because it really wasn't talked about and it really wasn't understood. Mm -hmm. And I don't I don't have ADD. I, I'm, I have, you know, I have, I guess what you would call autism spectrum disorder. But I don't see it as a disorder because it's who I am. Yeah. There was never anything wrong with it. I still think that the terminology ASD is problematic because I don't see it as a disorder. I see it as an ability. You know, it's I have superpowers. But at the expense of not being able to have normal conversations with people, not not understanding social interactions in a what we call conventional way, I can't keep a job. Um, I drive a bus because I don't have to deal with bosses. The moment I have to deal with bosses and the moment I have to deal with managers, uh, that's when I get into trouble because I don't have a filter mm -hmm. and I don't laugh at the boss's jokes. And, you know, I don't, I don't play, I don't play nice in a professional sense. I say, I, I like, I don't say that I don't say offensive things. Um, I, you know, I really, I, that, that's something I, you speak your I mind. was raised. Yeah, I was raised, but I, I do speak my mind. Yeah. And sometimes I don't sometimes I don't stop myself before I do. So, okay. So how that relates to music is when I was growing up and I was in school, I knew that I was not the same as other people. And I wanted something to feel comfortable in. I I wanted a place that was uh embracing me. Um sports didn't work. Going to the prom didn't work. Extracurricular things. I, you know, I had friends, but all, all my friends were nerds. I, I hung out with all the nerds. And, you know, we, we probably all had the same sort of thing. We were probably all wired similarly. And then at some point, uh, my sister, she was, when I was a kid, she was already a grown up. You have older sisters, right? Mm -hmm. I'm the youngest. Yes. I'm the baby. Yeah. You, we're both the youngest, so you know what it's like. And my what's sister... The, what's the age difference between me and my brother is 10 years? 14 years. Wow. Yeah. My sister was born in the 60s. And she played punk rock music for me. And I was 12. And I heard the Ramones, and I heard the Sex Pistols, and I heard the Clash. And I said this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm 12 years old. I don't know what I want. I'm going through puberty right now. Nothing makes sense. I smell bad. And, you know, girls don't like me. And boys don't like me. And teachers don't like me. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, I, I, this, this, this world is opened up to me. Um, 
but also at the same time, I had my best friend uh, in grade school. Uh, he also he was neurodivergent on a completely different. He was dyslexic, ADD. He was the kid who always had boogers coming out of his nose all the time. Um, Did he have the orange soda stain? Oh on his my lip? god! And yeah, and when Cheese you know, and, fingers. And we both got bullied. Like we both got bullied because even though we were at completely opposite ends of this imaginary spectrum thing, we both were grouped into the same. And he got terrible grades. And, you know, he was, he was really, he was the dumbest smart person I ever knew. You know, he, he, he was, he failed every subject, but he taught me how to play guitar. Wow. I didn't just figure it out myself. I had this other friend and he, he's the one who first put a fender in my hands. And like that, that was like, that was it. That was like, that was like touching the Rosetta Stone, you know? It was it was such a mind-bending thing. I held a Stratocaster for the first time, but you hold this guitar and it, it was it was like being hit by lightning. I mean, it was seriously. So at the same time that I first started, first picked up an electric guitar, my sister plays me The Clash. My, I, she um, introduces me to the idea that there's this other thing. But besides school and besides, you know, doing what my parents want me to do, I said, I'm, I'm going to go full, like I'm going to go full. And that's what I did. So, no, it had nothing to do with my identity. It, it was the only thing that made sense with my identity. And I was allowed to keep my identity. So when I went when I when I went into punk rock, I didn't have to change for anybody. I didn't have to I didn't have to like clean up. I could just be myself, and it was okay. It was all right. It was a safe place. So yeah, it was really. It didn't shape it. It was just the most sensible, convenient thing for me to do, and still be who I was. Does that does that? I finally got to the point. Yeah. So. On, no, honestly, no, honestly, my mind my mind is blown. Because I feel like personally, and other stories I've heard, it's quite the opposite. Punk rock mm. shaped us. Punk rock changed our no, lives. No, fuck that. I mean, I I do feel that way. I remember. I mean, I res I respect that. I respect that. I really do. But no, not for me. Not at all. I remember seeing, you know, what was it, nineteen ninety four? Seeing the basket case video on. MTV where they're wearing those weird masks and they're in the hospital and just being like yeah 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 what the fuck is this and my sister my sister also there's a five year age difference between us got really into it mm -hmm. brought and introduced me to it and from there it was just over and it it for me it kind of put not so much a context but there was validation in how mm. I was feeling, there was eventually a community that, you know, gathered around me. I was a really angry kid. You know, mm -hmm. I was I was angry for a long time. And, you know, after 13, reeling off of a divorce and whatnot, like I really grasped on to punk rock music because it'll, it gave me an outlet to express myself and to feel the anger, but also the joy in it. And the joy and expression. I mean, but then I found, I found my tribe and right. a community and music that allowed me to just feel the way I was feeling and it be normal. But again, you know, not all punk rock is angry. It doesn't have to be angry. Yeah. Yeah. You say it was a, it was a lateral move for yeah. me. Like it wasn't this leap, you know, I didn't just, I didn't say, oh, right, I'm punk rock now. It was, I, I sort of just took a step to the left and because, um, for me, it wasn't Green Day. It was Nirvana. Ah. And then I started looking at what T-shirts Kurt Cobain and Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl were wearing. Mm -hmm. TSOL, SSD, and like uh, Meat Puppets, mm -hmm. Black Flag. And then I started getting into that, which was not from my sister. Right. So 
all of a sudden now I'm learning about American hardcore and black flag and, and, you know, all the minor threat, bad brains and all of that. And then that was just like, that was just like dynamite. Like, Oh yeah. My sister got me, it it was green day, uh Bush and blur. (laughs) Blur was great. They still hold up. Damon Albarn, man, is one of my favorite musicians of all time. Great band. Yeah. I mean, they, they actually had a new single. I don't know if they have a new album, but they had a new single this year and gorillas are one of my favorite, favorite, favorite artists. But likewise, I think from there, I started to explore my own things, having been introduced to it. And then also my first show, Chris, my first local show, and just for anyone listening, we're both from Long Island. And there was a thriving, thriving music scene on Long Island in the late 90s, early 2000s. My first show was at Sports Plus. <laughs> and it I was, remember that place. It was ASOB, patent pending, and the fad. See, I don't think I played that. I think both was in the band at that point. I don't think did I play were, that? I yeah, mean, I didn't play that. I don't think you were there. This was probably 2002. I think I had just left the group to do um to do my own thing. But having seen yeah. that, and oh god, it was kids great. Kids from I mean. I mean you know, when you're it was a, a great kid, time. you don't really see kids from other schools uh-huh. always, unless you're in some kind of sport or at the mall or something like that. And seeing all that's these- a see, that's a great point. That's that's actually that I I don't mean to interrupt you, but um, I went to Catholic school. My parents they sent me to Catholic school. Mm. Discipline, 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 discipline. They wanted the best education. No, 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 no. It didn't prep me at all for real life, but. That's a whole other, I can't, I can't even get into that. Mm. Um, but one of the things that did happen is I met Joe Werfelman. And he said, oh, you, you, you're a bass player, right? I said, yeah. He said, you, you want to be in a, want to be in a band? I said, okay. And that was it. And that's how I joined ASOB. There wasn't any like tryout. He handed me a cassette tape that he and Jeff Rosenstock had made. And I listened to it and I learned it. And then I went to practice and that was it. And we would practice in Jeff's parents' living room. And what that accomplished for me, and I I had a cover band in Seacliff with uh, Josh Freeman, Mm -hmm. who was in another band called Plimpton 32. Um, Man, you're bringing it back. And Josh Freeman, coincidentally, is the one who gave me the Brian Wilson tickets. So... I, he, he got me into that, me and Damo into that show. So bringing it all back, what that accomplished for me was all of a sudden, instead of hanging out with people from my neighborhood, I started taking the bus, the, you know, the, the transit bus Hmm. to Roosevelt field to catch another bus to Baldwin. And I was, you know, telling my parents, I'm going to band practice. You got to come pick me up. So I started going and like you, you're, you and I are both from the North Shore, mm-hmm. right? So you're from the North Shore of Suffolk County. I'm from the North Shore of Nassau County, mm-hmm. and the South Shore is a different universe. <laughs> it's a whole, mm-hmm. whole different place. It, people talk differently there. Oh my god! And, oh, it's yeah. So you know, um, shit. We our beaches on the North Shore. They have all rocks. And they have seaweed and all this. I nasty find them to be way more accessible, though. Like I feel like you have to, uh, pay, yeah. you have to pay to get into every South Shore beach. You didn't always have to. And we don't have murders on our beaches either. Well, not that we know of. Not that we know, of. That we know of. <laughs> but um, that's a whole. That's another what podcast, murder? right there. Yeah. Um. So all of a sudden, every day after school, I'm hanging out in a different town, and then we started playing gigs. I'm 16 years old and I'm playing gigs. I'm like getting driven. Karen Rosenstock is driving us to gigs in her Lincoln Continental with fucking punk rock stickers plastered all over the back of it. It was one of my like favorite memories is, is riding in Jeff's mom's car. And it, that, that, that thing, we just throw everything in the trunk. It just had a huge ass trunk. And then, um, 
just transiting. Our parents are driving us to gigs. We're going to these gigs that these places are playing like Scotty D's and the C Note Cafe. And we're playing at the um, Mr. Beery's when they still had shows in the basement. I've never been to a and basement we're show at Beery's. Oh my God, I've we played in the, in the basement. basement. But... <laughs> I, I hit my head on the ceiling so many times. I'm like playing, I'm jumping up and down. I'm hitting, there's fucking shit falling from the ceiling. It was great. Like, I, oh my God, those times. And, you know, what else, What was everyone else in school doing? Sports. You know, they were studying for the SATs, playing lacrosse, doing, doing like doing the thing. Nothing against it. But nobody knew. Nobody knew. I, I was like Clark Kent. I came into school the next day, probably smelling like booze and cigarettes. You know, walk, walking into fucking first period English class or whatever it was. Nobody knew. I didn't tell anyone. I said, oh, yeah, I'm Mr. Big Shot. I'm in a band. How come? I didn't think it mattered to tell people in school. Like, that's a, it was a different world. Mm -hmm. I was like, if you ask me, I'll tell you. But, you know, that didn't overlap. There was a couple of people at my lunch table, people I sat with at my lunch table. I would tell them like, yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a ska band called Arrogant Sons of Bitches. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, I'll give you, I'll, I'll tape, I'll make you a tape. And I gave people tapes. And then I had my own band. I had Warehouse Value, which was my own. It was me. It was me and Glenn, my best friend, the, the, the booger face kid <laughs> who, you know, then we had Warehouse Value, which was even predated ASOB. And I would make tapes. I would record on my boombox, and then I would take headphones and break them in half. And I would take one half of the headphone and hold it up to the speaker, and I would take the other half of the headphone and sing into it. And when you plugged it into the microphone input, you would get a separation. So all the music coming out of the speaker would go to one side, and all of the vocals would go to the other side. And I give these people tapes of me screaming gibberish over guitar like this just grinding guitar noise that i was making it was ridiculous <laughs> if anybody has those tapes i would love to hear them because i would too so you know throughout this so, th throughout yeah. this exploration next question <laughs> throughout this exploration and mm -hmm. you know how your thought process is different from others either in youth or present day or adult or whatever. Has there ever been a time where you felt like a fraud or like, have you ever suffered from like imposter syndrome? Okay. Um, full disclosure to the studio audience out there. Uh, I was given these questions before <laughs> <laughs> and I did no preparation for them because I wanted to keep my answers as said as candid as possible. I didn't want to really think about them too much. Yeah. Um, I want to be impulsive. I want to be myself. Imposter syndrome. I had to look it up. I didn't know what it was. I've never heard of such a thing. I've heard people use that term. And um, it's kind of like fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. Um, okay. So what I will say is that Anybody, anybody who is in entertainment, I'm sure, suffers from it. Um, I think most managers, either, what is the opposite of imposter syndrome, where you think you know everything, but you actually don't know shit? Because that's what, <laughs> like, bosses and managers have. Mm -hmm. You have to be, like, a certain type of not giving a shit about anybody else. And it is faking it, but you're faking that you know what you're talking about. Whereas um, I feel like artists, they really downplay that they know more than they do. Because I feel, um, yeah, of course, I, of course I feel that way. I, I, um, you know, when you're at the beginnings of something, it's very hard to feel like, at least for me, it's very hard to feel like you belong especially when you're in the beginnings of a project or, you know, you're starting a new job or whatever well, the case is. Like it's, you know, 
Yeah, that sense of belonging and the sense that, you know, you deserve to be in that room or... You know, when, when, I, when I started, when I was making the bedroom tapes and when I first started playing gigs, I didn't think anything. Of, I didn't... There was no competition because it was new. Punk rock was... This was the 90s. Um, so if you think about it, punk rock was only at best 20 years old mm -hmm. it was still sort of in its adolescent stage and i don't need to go into it but also you know the fact that the internet didn't exist yeah i think it lacked ego it really it did i in in my experience yeah um the whole everything uh playing music being part of uh what you would consider a scene there really didn't seem to be a lot of ego in it but but i attribute a lot of that to me being neurodivergent and not being aware of it so if it was happening i wasn't aware of it you know if there was posturing and if there was ego i was not privy to it and i did not mimic that behavior you know i didn't mirror it um i'm not trying to i'm not putting myself above anybody i'm, I'm in no way am i it just never occurred to me that what i was doing was for some sort of attention it just seems like this is what i gotta do i gotta do this i gotta do it and when i and when i and when i would make tapes i didn't think i didn't think it was gonna i didn't think it was good or bad it was just I made this. I wasn't thinking about anybody ever giving a shit about it. It was just something to do besides sitting at home and playing video games and eating stovetop stuffing and like, you know, fucking wasting my life away. At least if I'm going to destroy myself, I'm going to do it out, you know, accomplishing something. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's part of your superpower, actually. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I there, In the beginning, there was no ego and the ego and the um, imposter syndrome, I guess, if you want to call it that, that came later. That came when other people started to succeed at it. And I felt that I wasn't succeeding at it. Mm. And I am horrible to myself. I treat myself so poorly um it's taken me years and years and years and years and years to accept what i did and that it was valid and that it was valuable people like you reminding me of that you know which is very it's really it's i really i really appreciate it um part of neurodivergent uh, mindset is not only not knowing how society works, um, but also the tools that society uses, um, they don't always make sense. Mm. I refuse to own a smartphone. And I, it's not because I'm anti-technology. It's because I don't think that I have the discipline to stay who I am with having that technology constantly available to me. I don't think I have the discipline to be my best self if I'm because it's it's a it's it's a crutch it's a distraction it's and the thing is is when I started playing music there there was no you made you made tapes and you mailed you mail ordered your punk rock you know you didn't just go and look it up and then the inter the internet, I'm not saying it ruined it. The internet is a wonderful, amazing tool. I spend a lot of time on it, but I don't know how it works. I don't understand how to promote my music. I don't understand how to um, get it into the right hands. I don't understand the concept of selling myself to strangers. It doesn't make sense to me. And um, when other people did start grasping that, and I just kept doing it the way I was always doing it, I started to notice the pulling away. And I became very jealous 
and I became very bitter. And I'll admit, I, I, I let my feelings uh, influence how I treated others and the art that I made. And I wish that I didn't. I wish that I was just happy for everybody. But I was also in the middle of drug and alcohol addiction. And I was struggling with so many demons. And I was making the best art of my life. I mean, you know, you talk about ContraFlow. ContraFlow is the, that's my, that's like my proudest achievement is that record. Besides the house that I fucking built that I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> but, um, well, this is a, this is a really great, uh, segue into, yeah. you know, I feel like you've talked about it a little bit, but, you know, talking about pride, you know, mm -hmm. are there parts of your identity that make you most proud? And are there some that, like, which have you struggled with the most? I, I love who I am. I'm exactly the person I want to be. Like I have, I have no hangups. I don't. I'm trying to think. Did it take I'm you, trying to. Did it take you a while to get there? Or yeah, it took a lot of fucking work. It took so much work. Yeah. I'm not proud of the way I treated people in the past. I think, I, I think we can all agree with that. Yeah, I took people for granted. I um. We live selfishly in those years. Yeah, you know, I was just sort of a hedonist. Um, a lot of it came because being neurodivergent, being in a super disciplined environment, Catholic school, and then not really having any tools to navigate real life. If the tools were available to me, the, I, the instructions were not. So, like, I've always felt like uh, everybody had prior knowledge to how the world spun around and that I somehow was gifted with only the ability to like see the bits and pieces of everything, but never to actually fit them together. Trying to deal with that. I, I found out that at some point it was a lot easier to mask my tics, my stimming, to mask uh, my weirdness by getting as obliterated as possible. And I was a professional alcoholic. I was so good at it. I was unstoppable. And, and, and I did drugs too. I did all the drugs. I'm not going to go into that because I don't need to. It's yeah. that's, you know, use your imagination. Uh, the best thing I ever did was first of all, get help. And, and second of all, uh, get getting sober that was the most important thing i ever did in my life i'm not proud of a lot of things i did before that but i'm i'm fucking proud that i'm sober that's huge to me and that's one of the reasons why i bring it up with people because that's an accomplishment if you're if you're in it right now you're you're doing probably the hardest thing you're ever going to have to do so I, I, I applaud you. I commend you. And um, anybody who's thinking about it and you're kind of on the fence, listen, uh, your life is going to change and it's going to be for the better. And all the shitty people are going to go away. And if they don't go away, at least you're going to have the presence of mind to deal with them and to be present and to be your best, truest self. And you're, and, and, you're going to see the bullshit like miles before it gets to you. And it took me a long time to learn that. And, and I made some great art because that struggle is part of what makes the art great sure. because that's, that's what, what people can relate to. So yeah, I'm proud of that as far as how it defines me. It's a piece of who I, I am, um, but it's not something I wear. So I think you already answered this question, but was there ever a decision that you made that changed the trajectory of your life? How do I know that? My trajectory is not over. True. I am still trajectoring, <laughs> if that's the word. <laughs> I am mid-trajectory. I, I hope. I certainly hope. Um... How do I know? Well, I could say, How do I, even... I could answer for you. I think, you know, becoming sober was a hard pivot. 
And yes, it was. Yeah, becoming vegan was a hard pivot. Moving to a new city, which you've done before, but, was a hard. Pivot. But I wouldn't. But I wouldn't have become sober if I hadn't have done drugs in the first place. <laughs> so really, chicken or the egg? Because mm. is doing drugs what brought me to the point where I had that realization? If I had never lived that life, would I have ever accumulated the experiences that brought me to the point where it all came rushing back at once? And that being the catalyst that thrust me into who I am now, mm -hmm. because if I never struggled with anything and if I never had any loss and if I never experienced any tragedies, um, then, you know, I'd probably just be, I don't know who I would be. I can't, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even imagine being someone who I'm not. A lot of the decisions that influenced me and a lot of the decisions uh, that I would say changed the trajectory of my life, they were not decisions. They were happenstance. They were things that passively happened to me. Leaving New York yep. was, was. But, but leaving New York itself did not cause Hurricane Katrina to happen. Leaving New York itself, and to those of you who don't know, I moved to New Orleans in 2005, actually 2004, and I moved, I moved there officially in 2005, and then within weeks of getting there, uh, Hurricane Katrina uh, happened, and my entire life was flipped upside down. And I wrote an album about it, and it's great, and you can download it at Bandcamp. Let me crazy. Contraflow. Um, that's my pl shameless plug right there. Um, no, I, I wrote a record about a very important time in my life. I didn't decide for that to happen. I decided to move there, but that was uh, inconsequential because what really defines that experience for me was uh, fucking nature. Mother, like nature threw the biggest fuck you at me. And everybody else in that city too. I mean, shit, I made out okay. You know, and, 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 and that, God, it was a traumatic experience. Sure. And it, so, yeah, that changed my life a lot. And, um, but also that album is not just about Katrina. It's about my best friend becoming schizophrenic and me witnessing it happen in real time. Somebody who was very important to me and very important in my development. The person who taught me how to play guitar person who introduced me in a lot of ways to the music that I love. Um, somebody who I owe so much to. And all of a sudden, one day, I knocked and they weren't there. They were gone. Their body was there. The vessel that they were in was there. But the person was <sighs> disappeared. And they were replaced by somebody else. That was really traumatic. That changed my life. I'm I'm still heartbroken about it because I, I've never dealt with it. I've never dealt with it. The only therapy I ever had about it was writing that album. I still I, I still listen to that record from time to time and I, I can't get through it. And you know, you had mentioned at one point, I forget if it was during this conversation or ones that we've had mm. previously, that you know, through tragedy is sometimes when we create our greatest art and how we're able to fully express ourselves and mm -hmm. i mean that album i think is a testament I, I, to that i i didn't set out intending for that sure you know it was just it was just some shit i had in a notebook that i needed to get out i guess try trying to bring it back around um how do i close this point um the decisions that changed the trajectory of my life were not decisions at all. I think I was just kind of being tossed in the waves. And the decisions that I did make, sobriety, mainly sobriety, veganism, mm. they gifted me with the presence of mind and the self-esteem and the clarity to be able to weather all the storm. I have a life ahead of me still, and I'm happy. I'm really happy. I feel really, really good. 
I feel healthy. And that comes from all the bad shit that came before. Mm -hmm. Because I fucking survived it. That's who I am. But the thing is, is I like who I am. And I accept, I accept all of what's flawed about me. I love who you are. <laughs> I love you too, Lori. <laughs> I, 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 I want to ask you questions, but I know it's really supposed to be about me. <laughs> <laughs> this is about you. Um, but I, I do want to, to close this out. I, yeah. I feel like I know the answer to this. Bring it home. Bring it home. I want to I want to circle back to my first question. After having this entire conversation, after all this exploration into the depths of Chris Baltris, mm. do you still agree with what you first said on how do you introduce yourself? Oh, um, I am Christopher Baltris. I am 76 inches and 165 pounds of mostly water and some fleshy parts <laughs> and um bones a lot of bones <laughs> and uh i have a brain and my brain makes me do bad things sometimes <laughs> But most of the time, it makes me do good things. <laughs> yeah. And I intend to keep things that way. And that is who I am. <laughs> oh, man. You are. I think that I think that's it right there. Yeah. Chris, <laughs> you're probably one, the, one of, if not the most interesting person I know. And I so appreciate you sharing yourself. You know, you should really... You should really spend some time inside of this head. I don't know sometime. if I want it's to. Really, <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if I have to. It's really there's there's worlds upon worlds inside of this head. I wish I could just scoop it out and like just say here, sample this. <laughs> I, it's it's really. I think with your art, I, you've done that. With your art, is a, a a pretty good sampling of. You know, it's I really think you're helping me because I've never. You know, we we artists, we imposters, <laughs> we're so bad to ourselves. We're so violent to ourselves, and and we um, self-deprecating and self-doubting. And this has kind of made me confront a few things. And I think it's going to help my art in the future because I've been kind of hoping to reach a new understanding about myself. Awesome. Chris, thank you. So Cue the credits. Cue the credits. <laughs> thank you so much. You've been listening to the Identity Shockwave podcast hosted by me, Lori Vaitzig. Catch us next time for a new episode with a different guest that is sure to keep the conversation interesting. A big thank you to Let Me Crazy for letting us use their music. I'll catch you later.